Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only movie events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and The Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing Her with Acorn Bandit. Let's roll the film. Her was released in 2013 from director Spike Jones. Also written by Jones, the film stars Joaquin Phoenix, Scarlett Johansson, and Amy Adams. All right, so Her, why did you choose this movie? For me, Her is a full package. It's videography mm-hmm. and story and character and weird because the concept of a human falling in love with an operating system that's an AI, mm-hmm. I mean, right off the bat, that's great. Yeah. Um, but the way they handled it was so well, uh, it was so good. And I've watched it so many times and I just adore this movie. It's weird because it's sci-fi and it doesn't feel like sci-fi. Exactly. Yeah. So we are going to talk about the movie in depth, of course. But before we do, I gathered a whole bunch of trivia up from IMDb like I normally do. And there's some great stuff for this movie. Uh, one thing that is probably the biggest is that an actress named Samantha Morton was originally the voice of Samantha in the movie. She was present on the set with Joaquin Phoenix every day after the filming wrapped and Spike Jones started editing the movie. He felt like something wasn't right with Morton's blessing. He decided to recast the role and Scarlett Johansson was brought in to replace Morton re-recording all the dialogue. So even though in the movie, Johansson has this like amazing chemistry with Joaquin Phoenix. She recorded it all after the fact. Whoa. I did not know that. Which means that someone else was actually like there having the conversations with him. And then later on, they pulled out all of her voiceover and Scarlett Johansson recorded all of hers instead. It's like the destiny ghost. Yeah. Like, oh my God, that's nuts. Yeah. Because one of the things everyone talks about is the like husky, sexy voice of Mm -hmm. Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. So that's that blows my mind that she wasn't even part of the production. Not originally. It's wild. It's it's crazy. And it just shows like how good of an actress she is. Yeah. That she can basically just be shown these scenes and have a conversation with a finished movie almost. Absolutely. And her voice is is so full of emotion. Mm-hmm. The the texture of it is amazing. Yeah, she crushed it. She's like the MVP of this movie, for sure. Chris Cooper. I don't know if you know who he is, uh, filmed a few scenes, but his role ended up completely cut from the final movie, as well as comedian Pete Holmes, who also had a role that made its way to the cutting floor. I can't imagine there being any other characters. Right. So maybe it's a good thing. Maybe. But that's probably exactly why they ended up cut. It just would have padded the movie too much. Yeah. Distracted uh, it too much. Yeah, totally. Carrie Mulligan was originally cast, but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts, and she was replaced by Rooney Mara. And who's Rooney Mara again? His ex-wife. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So she wasn't the original person, but uh, I think did a fantastic job. She definitely did. Uh, This is the only movie Spike Jones has written as well as directed. 
completely from his own original script. So he's written movies, he's directed movies, but this is the only one in which he's done both. So what you're telling me is this movie came out of fate. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All the components worked together to make it what it is. And it just kind of fell together. It's crazy how that happens. And oftentimes in movies, it tends to be that necessity is the mother of invention. And like the, the, the best results coming out of things that they weren't expecting for sure. Stuck in the editing process with his early 150-minute cut, Spike Jones asked Steven Soderbergh to edit it down with his instincts. Soderbergh came back within 24 hours with a 90-minute cut, which helped Jones make the final version, which ran 126 minutes. Whoa. I bet that's where the other characters went <laughs> bye-bye. Definitely. That's really refreshing, though. Yeah. Someone to take like his baby and give it to someone and be like, okay, be brutal. Mm-hmm. Well, you can be too close to the process. Like he wrote and directed. Yeah. So if you're not getting other eyes on there, it could just be like, this is what I think it should be, but I don't know how other people are going to interpret this. Mm -hmm. A lot. I mean, I I guess that takes a lot of humility Mm. because I can think of a lot of other directors that just hold it too close and micromanage it all. And it ends up, you can feel it. Absolutely. You can see it. Yeah. Uh, Amy Adams said writer-director Spike Jones would essentially lock her and Joaquin Phoenix in a room together for an hour or two every other day and make them talk to each other. Jones did this so the actors could get to know each other better. Adams credits this for her and Phoenix's close friendship. So now they're like really good friends because he just locked him in a room <laughs> for a couple hours <laughs> all the time. Is that like the movie version of the the 20 top questions to ask someone? It probably. <laughs> probably. You guys have to be like lifelong best friends. So we're just going to lock you in a room for a while and let you get to know each other. It was probably a good idea. They read really comfortably mm. on screen. Totally. Totally. During some of the more emotional scenes, Amy Adams would sing songs from famous musicals like Annie and the Rocky Horror Picture Show in order Aww. to cheer herself up. Eventually, Joaquin Phoenix would join in and they would sing together. However... They stopped doing this after they saw Spike Jones filming them. <laughs> oh, where's the extras? Exactly. I want to see this. That sounds like the best like DVD extra stuff that you could have. I have a digital copy and I don't think it has much of the digital extras. I don't even think that would be on it because they're, they're, I mean, if they stopped doing that, but yeah. they probably didn't want it on there. But wow. Oh, that's so, that's so adorable. It is. Um, And lastly, most of the scenes in the movie contain either the colors red or yellow or the combination of both. Also, nobody has ever seen wearing a belt in the entire movie. Oh, yeah. That futuristic high-waisted fashion that they have. No belts. (laughs) Such a (laughs) random like thing to leave out. I think, you know, it's it's a small thing. But I was thinking about this uh, last night when I was watching the movie again. Mm -hmm. It. It does. It's uh, we're going to talk about this, but so much of the futuristic setting in this movie Mm -hmm. is based on the little things. Mm. And I think the little shift in fashion, because they're still wearing like button down shirts and slacks and stuff, but having the slacks be kind of like a a 20 style, it's like loose fit, Mm -hmm. high waisted, no belt. I think visually that just helps you put yourself into the mindset of this is not our time. Yes. And to kind of take so much more of the story in. Yeah. And there's so many elements like that. Like the wardrobe is one. 
the technology is like slightly more advanced, but not anything that's a tremendous leap into the future, aside from the AI itself. And then like even the small design touches, like the the fruit drink he has and that like curved top with the straw like coming out. Yeah. Those just like little changes are like, okay, this isn't like ridiculous, but it's definitely not us right now. Yeah. The elevators too. Yes. The elevators got me. It reminds me of like a really uh, high-end mall and you go up the elevator and it has all this like fancy designs on the inside and like glass on glass and all these uh, cutouts and maybe like metal framing and stuff. But like in there, it's a residential building. It's like a residential apartment building and in their elevator, it's so spacious, but there's like this shadow effect of trees and limbs and leaves as they go up. And it's so pretty, but it's so simple. It's not like it's super far-fetched technology. It's just thoughtful aesthetics. Yeah, very smart. And I bet (laughs) made things a lot easy budget-wise, as in like, okay, we don't have to shift things around that much. We just need to tweak them enough so it feels like it's our world, but like just not at the same time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about California, but I realized I didn't know where the movie was set until I looked closer. And so it's supposed to be a futuristic LA. Yeah, I guess I didn't even really consider that. Like my brain, my brain almost always feels New York when I see a city. But then Mm. you see like the nice beach they were on and everything. And that kind of sets it a little more. Yeah. So California makes sense for sure. I don't know what the gaming industry would change to, but we're more likely to see like all those game devs out there as opposed to like New York and everything too. Very true. Yeah, Amy Adams's character. Um it's so it's so amusing to me that she is a, a game developer but like what's that website? Newgrounds? Oh, you yeah. know those those like fun <laughs> games people just make and post. Yeah. Like one of the games that she's working on for like a legitimate game developer is like a mom game. Yeah. And you get you get mom points by not feeding your kids sugar and getting them to school on time past the carpool yeah. and then bringing cookies gets you like class mom. It's like it's ridiculous, especially the way that the game is actually set up. It's not like a well-balanced thing. You're kind of looking at it going like, really? Yeah, yeah. And yet I can think of tons of people who would play it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so first of all, in the movie, the, the, the job that they show us right away that Theodore has, writing letters on behalf of other people, how freaking weird is that of a job? So weird. There are so many layers to that. Yes. Because uh, one of the things I was taking notes on um, at multiple times in the in the movie is just how human connectivity is in this world, mm-hmm. um, how much they interact with each other, how relationships work, and just the fact that there is a business again based on the video game comment, like it's a legitimate business where someone sits down and writes a letter. Or to other people mm-hmm. about their life with all the intimacies and all of the memories and experiences as if someone was actually writing to their significant other, happy birthday, darling. Yeah. I it's been 50 years and here is why I love you so much. Like it's such a strange concept, but at the same time, like I love that they chose that as his profession because it is such a nostalgic thing. Mm-hmm. Because in the future, there's probably not as many books, because they make kind of a comment on that. Yep. Everyone's plugged in. Everyone has technology. And to have the written word still in their world, but like in this kind of uh, 
I, I wonder if the people in that world consider it like like cutesy, you know, like when Hallmark cards first turned digital mm. and everyone was sending Hallmark cards via email to each other. Yeah. I wonder if it's kind of like that. Everyone's like, oh, let's just buy a, a beautiful handwritten letter yeah. for, for each other. And it's just like kind of part of their culture and they accept it. I wonder too, if like when you receive that letter, does it say like that website, that business name on the back? And does like a part of you go, Oh, this is nice in thought, but like you, I wish you would have written me something instead. Or is it just a common thing to where people just accept that as they would like a personalized greeting card? I don't know. And that's what, that's what blows my mind because like the way that they write the letters, it's in actual handwriting. They mm-hmm. somehow capture the person's handwriting. And as he's dictating the letter, it's writing it out for him. I don't think it would have a, a logo stamp from the company. But at the same time, everyone knows that it's coming from the company. Everyone who receives these knows Mm -hmm. it was a writer who wrote it for them. So like part of me wondered when I was watching it most recently is if these letters informed their relationship, Mm -hmm. if the things like in one of them in early, uh, the early part of the movie, he mentions how he took the crooked little tooth mm-hmm. of this woman and threaded it through the letters that he wrote for them for like 10 years or yeah, something. Yeah. And so like part of me was like, I wonder if the guy never noticed it, but since he reads about her crooked little tooth from Theodore's perspective through the letters he gets for her, mm-hmm. if he starts appreciating it more or conversely, if he hates the tooth and right. he just deals with it because maybe she thinks it's sweet. Right. Like, I wonder how much of these letters become people's relationships and he took he took liberties i mean that guy was never like hey make sure to include that crooked tooth thing he said he noticed it in a photo and is kind of commenting on it on behalf of the person that he's writing for so that guy might not even like have that be a thing that he's into but (laughs) now that's getting threaded in there and it also i didn't think about it until just now if we look at something that happens later on in the movie he's involved as like a third person inside these other couples relationship, which is kind of like the surrogate coming into his relationship later on in the movie that he has a problem with. He is so weirded out by that. Yeah, that's a good point. So now it's, it's a different level of involvement, obviously, but it's kind of the same idea. I could argue like the level of intimacy is probably the same. Yeah, you could argue that for sure. Cause he, I mean, he's writing love letters to people. Yeah about things that he's saying he loves that he doesn't know if the other guy actually loves. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, but I did. God, that (laughs) the job choice is just crazy. It's nuts. And then the fact that he's taking all of these personal letters, writing all these personal letters. And then in his company, he's just letter writer number 612. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody's (laughs) doing it. the The impersonal nature of it is like, directly opposed to how intimate it is yeah. it's so so interesting yeah the next thing i have is the uh the video game that he was playing that like mm-hmm. the, and he's like he's almost doing like bunny rabbit ears like to run which is hilarious but yeah. i want to play a game with that little marshmallow character so bad because he's hilarious he was so funny <laughs> so i just want to interact with him and have to like swear at a video game character to progress through the game i love that <laughs> idea I know the part where he literally had to challenge the the character back by like cussing him out. That mm-hmm. was brilliant. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then he starts like 
eavesdropping on the conversation he's having outside of the video game and interacting with him. Like, that's insane. That is insane. Uh, the voice controls obviously are a big thing in the entire movie. And we see him early on kind of walking around outside and talking to people. And it's interesting that like when this movie came out, that wasn't as prominent as it already is now, only five years later. And we have things like Alexa and Google home and Siri and all these things that we do voice commands with. And I'll be, I'll be honest. Like I use, I use my Alexa all the time, but I use it in my house and I'm alone and I don't feel like self-conscious about talking to it. But then I go to my car and I'm tempted to voice command my car, <laughs> but I don't know if I'd be comfortable walking around and just talking to an OS or standing in an elevator and saying, play melancholy song. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's like the, the <laughs> like he's walking around, but then when he's in tight quarters with everyone, it feels so much more like intrusive. Yeah. I wonder how much people eavesdrop from each other yeah. in that world. Or is it just that like, it's another weird thing about kind of like the time setting, like we don't know how far in the future it is. So is that just society now where like everybody does that so nobody thinks about it? Probably that. Yeah. It's probably that people just don't think twice about it. Yeah. So um, we we get Samantha coming in and kind of his first experience with her and like the booting up and everything, which feels very cold, obviously, because it's just like computer operating system. But um, hilarious. Yeah. And like right away is super advanced. I don't know if I would have had the level of trust that he did right away because he was she was like, can I access your hard drive? And it was, he just go, yeah, totally. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. That feels really invasive. Yeah, I would I would think twice about that. Um, recently, I went to make a Facebook page mm -hmm. for uh, my business and I've never used Facebook before. I didn't use social media until I got online and became a streamer and everything. It was the most invasive process ever. Mm -hmm. I aborted about halfway through after it had like funneled me down a path where I had to link things and I had to enter things and like you have to make a personal account in order to have a Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And like trying to undo all of it gave me so much anxiety. <laughs> like same, I don't know if I would be comfortable to be in a situation where I have an OS who... I mean, I don't know who the developer is. I yeah, don't know what yeah. kind of parameters they put in. And that's one of my one of my notes too, that it's it's weird how an OS like this is a product in this world, mm -hmm. but there doesn't seem to be any kind of like economic basis for it. Mm. Like the the research and development and the quality control must have come up with these outlying situations where the OS becomes intimate with its user or they go towards consciousness, like self, their own consciousness mm -hmm. within the time frame. I want to say it was like two weeks of yeah. Samantha being on and she's like starting to contemplate her like place in the universe. And it's like, <laughs> she makes a comment that her personality is based on the, I forget the number of millions, thousands. All the programmers and stuff. Yeah. All yeah. the programmers that developed her. And so I'm just thinking like, it makes such a good story to focus on the emotional story and the mm -hmm. character driven story of it. But part of me, the, the realistic part of me is like, what company would have the money to develop something like this that would just go off the rails so fast? Yeah. Yeah. Where was the testing where they like tried this OS out and they saw how, I mean, it, it took a while for them to really evolve to a level of self-awareness and everything, but something like that would have to be in testing for years. 
And they mm-hmm. totally would have seen that. Granted, it breaks the entire movie if that's the, <laughs> if that's the avenue we go down. But yeah, it's worth it's worth considering for sure. Absolutely. It's one of those things you think about when you've seen the movie like six times. Yeah. And then you go, <laughs> well, the story wouldn't work without it. So we just have to we have to let it go. Yeah. Um, Olivia Wilde's the best possible blind date, right? Like, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I mean, come on. If someone goes. Oh, I set you up on a blind date right away. It's oh, my God. And then they. Oh, oh, OK. And then Olivia Wilde of puppies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on now. These uh, are pictures of the girl you're going to go on a date with. And they were actually really kind of super cute together. And then he couldn't commit, obviously. And she immediately I found it interesting that she immediately reclassified him as soon as she got rejected. Because at oh no God, point yes. was he creepy. And then oh. she just goes, oh, you're a creep. I, it yeah. was like she was and this this is kind of an idea uh, that comes up later in the movie, too, about how people rewrite their stories a little bit. But she does it immediately to where she's kind of rewritten or reframed the entire date so that she has a more I don't know, more control over it, maybe or the more power as a result of saying, oh, well, you're a creep and not I got rejected. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely a defense mechanism of some kind. She's probably been through a lot of really bad relationships and mm-hmm. is trying to protect herself. But at the same time, she like asked him, you're not going to be one of those guys who's just going to have sex with me and never call me again, right? Like <laughs> in the middle of making out. Right. Like, you ask anyone that and they're going to be like, uh, what? <laughs> Which is what he did. And then she took it as him being dishonest. Yeah. And then him, her shutting him down for it. Yeah. But at the same time, this is also a girl who thought it was a compliment and sexy that he looked into her social media to find out that she took a certain class. Yeah. She's like, Oh, you did your research on me online. That's hot. <laughs> I appreciate that. And it's like, that's the kind of world we're talking about. Yeah. It's interesting. Just how to, we, we did kind of like get an understanding of this society throughout the course of the movie, because it is just slightly off of ours. And yet that is something people do. Absolutely. Even if we don't bring it up on said date, it's something people do. Samantha's awareness of self was really interesting, especially uh, around the beginning, kind of being excited about the new feeling she was having. uh, And then right away going into questioning whether or not those feelings are authentic or if she's just programming. Like what a meta argument for AI to have. Mm -hmm. I loved the way they depicted her Mm -hmm. because especially with the way that she was interacting with the human characters around her, because so much of the movie is spent her fixating on what she doesn't have, Mm -hmm. which is so much what we do in life. I am not as skinny as everyone else. My hair is not as long as everyone else. And then you look at those things as the things that you lack that defines you. And Mm -hmm. she was doing the same thing. I don't have a body. You, You must think of me differently because I don't have a body like everyone else around you. And she spends so much time with that and then finally realizes the things that she does have that gives her value. And then it's like an about face because then you have this this entity that is realizing its own, I guess, parameters in the world, its own limitations and realizing there really are none. And it's so cool to see someone uh, like Samantha to have access to everything in the world on the internet, everything she can learn. She mm-hmm. like learns how to play an instrument. She investigates physics and learns all these really like high uh, concepts. And compared to all the human characters, it's like it really depicts how human bodies are like a primitive system mm-hmm. that holds a consciousness. It really holds us back. And eventually she's like, 
I am not held back by anything. And that's something that gives me value compared to everyone else. Yeah. She even comments later on that I hope tells Theodore, like, I hope you find your way here to this place we're all going. Like, if you someday yes. get there too, please find me. Did you find really that sweet. like a super sci-fi kind of concept drop there? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't extrapolate it too much, but it is kind of like a hint towards the singularity idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Like a hundred years in the future, she still exists. She's like, I don't know, in in the ether of the the tech web mm -hmm. world of whatever. And eventually human consciousness will like be uploaded into that and then they'll find each other again. Yeah. Like that's that's the kind of concept I got from that, which was really kind of like bittersweet. Mm. Like who knows if that's a place this world is at or will be within his lifetime. But if that is the case, then they actually could refind each other. And yeah. I wonder, like, because obviously she's at a different level at that point, but could he even potentially get to that level because he has the limitations of a human going in there? Or will he evolve as well? Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if you take that limitation away, do we also become more limitless? <laughs> and that's why I love this movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's crazy. <laughs> I was I was wondering too early in the movie, like if their relationship was inevitable in the sense that Samantha is programmed to evolve, but she does so within the confines of his input, at least in the beginning. She's not talking to other people yet uh, that we're aware of. She's not in the same way uh, she's talking to him, at least like she's on the Internet and doing stuff like that, but not having like conversations with people. Uh, we do learn later that some of the OSs, though, reject the advances of their owners. And some people are actually having relationships with other people's OSs, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But I I wonder, like, was it's it's such a it, maybe it's one of the questions of the movie, like how authentic was this love or was it built from the necessity of that's what Theodore needed. So the OS provided the service that he needed. Right. I, th I think it's the latter. I think it's what he needed and the way she was created. She needed him to feel validated and to feel seen and loved and like kind of cultivated. Like really Theodore is a very kind and taking care of kind of person. Mm. What's, what's the word for Empathetic? taking care of? The caretaker. <laughs> yeah. <there laughs> taking care of caretaker. caretaker. <laughs> He's a caretaker. He cares about her. And he's like, no, no, no. I want to hear what you think. Yeah. And he's a people pleaser he, a little bit. Very. But he's he's very like kind and soft and listens to her and supports her and that kind of thing, which I think is what she needs needed in her, uh, her self-realization. But at the same time, she gave him what he needed, which is to get out of his head and mm. to just get out in the world and experience things and have fun and be joyful. And I think they did a lot of good things together because of that. Yeah. I, I wonder if she would have grown in the same way had he not needed those things because she mirrored him a lot at the beginning. I'm sure some of her program was to be like, because because even the questions they asked about building her, like, what's your relationship with your mother? <laughs> like that kind of stuff, like he barely answered and it it insinuated from his tone of voice what he needed or what kind of relationship would work best for him based on his psychology and just the tone of his voice and his answer, which is wild. That's huge AI right there. Huge. Yeah. Which is why I think they even said that the romantic relationships between their the users and their OSs is, is rare. Mm -hmm. And that could be why people just might be well adjusted and have relationships and significant others. And so their OS 
would fulfill a different need in their life. Mm, it's fascinating. There, there's the part of the movie where they have quote unquote sex for the first time. I mm -hmm. thought from a filmmaking standpoint was very brave that they went to a blank screen for, I didn't like time it or anything, but it was a minute or two. And that is not something you do in a visual medium, really, but it enhanced the scene so much. It also just kind of was respectful, too. Yeah, it works with that idea of theater of the mind. Like <laughs> it doesn't work as well for just looking at him sitting there and like making those noises and sounds and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But when you take away the visual, it almost puts them both on the same level mm. so that like the whole time we never see her. But I think we're forming a picture in our brain. And maybe that picture is just Scarlett Johansson because it's a voice we know. But when you take away the visual from both and you leave just the voices kind of interweaving in that blank space, it really builds a scene. Mm -hmm. And puts you in his perspective, too, yeah, where yeah. if he closes his eyes, that's what he's hearing him himself and her. Yeah, I found that to be such a bold choice, but it worked so well. So well, uh, there's the quote about kind of one. I think one of the biggest messages in the movie, they flat out say when they say the past is just a story we tell ourselves. God, I love that. Quote. Oh, so good. Like we all have things about us that we believe to be true. For one reason or another, whether it be something we've kind of like written for ourselves or something we've gathered from people around us kind of implying about ourselves. And then you take in the idea of like confirmation bias, where we pay more attention to the evidence that supports our beliefs and we forget the stuff that doesn't to the point where we even alter our own memories so that some of the things that we remember are not exactly how they happened. And that's just a phenomena. That oh, we yeah. all run through, but that was something very, very interesting that they explored throughout the movie. Yeah. And like with eyewitness accounts, they find that people will misremember things. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah, for sure. Like the way we see our past defines who we are. And so a lot of the time we'll place emphasis on things that happened in the past that really didn't have that much of an impact on us, mm -hmm. but we attribute it to. Such a powerful quote. And they presented his kind of reliving several times throughout the movie. He had those little highlight reels where like when his uh, ex-wife was signing the papers and he's seeing all these flashes of their like happy times together. And then there were other times in the movie where we saw them fighting. So it wasn't a highlight reel, but it was more of like those little things. And I don't, I know there are people whose brains don't work in as visual a way as that, but like those highlight reels are what my brain does. So when they do that in the movie, I was like, oh my God, that's so real. Like you remember... And I, I think it was um, 500 Days of Summer that does a similar thing yeah. where he's only remembering kind of the highlights and not paying attention to all the things. So that his past seems so like positive and glowy. And then it takes a while to remember all the, the negative things and why that wasn't working out. Mm -hmm. I think the having those flashbacks during really key scenes like him signing the divorce papers with his ex-wife and a couple others like it's such a good and effective way to give backstory and to give perspective and to inform the viewer about what he went through but mm -hmm. also like the scenes were placed they were picked so well because when you're watching those things and then you pan back to his face and his expression it adds this like third dimension of understanding for his like psyche yeah. and the way he 
works as a person and what he longs for and what he misses and what he feels like he's without Mm. that little, he said, uh, he wanted to try to fill that little hole in his heart, but it probably wouldn't have worked anyway. I think that little hole in his heart kind of directs the whole movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's looking for, he's looking for a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, a sense of meaning. Yeah. Oh, he's a, he's a great character kind of in general. We get kind of like the shift in tone when he has the meeting with his ex-wife and they're signing those divorce papers and she plants like the seed of doubt that, and it's crazy how, and again, like one little thing can change your confirmation bias. And now you're looking for evidence to support this new theory. So like that one seed of doubt then made him question like, oh my God, I'm dating an OS. Why am I dating an OS? Like, is what my ex-wife said true? Am I really just in a relationship because this is something I can handle? Yeah, because you can't handle human relationships with real people and real emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a bitch move. It was. It was. But also at the same time, it's so weird to like come out. I don't know if that's the right thing to drop on your ex-wife when like OS (laughs) human relationships are still fairly new. And they took a, a, a jump very quickly as far as like societal acceptance. At least it seemed that way in the movie because like there's there's the time where Chris Pratt's character, um, who is great in the movie. I don't even think I knew who Chris Pratt was when this came out. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, he he says, oh, we should go on a double date at some point. And he's like, oh, just so you know, I'm dating an OS. He's like, "Okay, cool. So when are we doing this? Like there was (laughs) no no judgment, no like reactionary thing. Just like, okay, yeah, that's a thing that happens. So completely unfazed. yeah. Yeah. And also his girlfriend was sitting there with them. Yeah. So neither of them were phased at all. And I, I'm like, how long is like, it's only been a couple months since this OS came out and it's the first one that has the AI. So what is, wow, society was really quick to be like, okay, I guess that's a thing that's happening now. And it didn't take long for like a surrogate service to open up. Like again, mm-hmm. a couple months, Hey, we have this business where we have human surrogates for OS human relationships already. Yeah. I feel like that's an indication of, the way the world works. I've I noticed watching it so many times that everything's so comfortable. Mm-hmm. It seems like everyone's provided for. Everyone has a job and the jobs don't seem to have as like the jobs just are. Mm-hmm. It could be about anything. It's almost like it, if it's legitimate or not. I have to rephrase this a couple of times. I think I know what you mean. And it's actually, yeah. There's no job in this world that is lesser or more than another. It doesn't feel that way. Yeah, exactly. It feels like a job is a job and everyone has a job and that's it. It provides for their whole life. These people are living in these like high rises in the city, Mm -hmm. in these gorgeous apartments with a view of the city. And they just have these like arbitrary jobs that, well, we would think arbitrary. It's like, what kind of game? And you're getting how much for this? It's like there's just this, this sense of comfort and provision for everyone in the city. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if that's it goes along with that. Maybe. You have an opportunity that prop, pops up and people are like, hey, anyone interested in doing this, this new business venture? And then everyone's like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Sounds yeah. like my, my kind of thing. Yeah, like in, in, in our society, someone who's like a secretary or a receptionist, you might say is not as important as the writer at the company, but like Chris Pratt's character felt on the same level as everybody else in that building, even though he was the receptionist. Yeah. There's something nice about that for sure. There is. Yeah. Kind of utopian in a sense. Yeah. I think there are a lot of jobs that people won't consider 
because it feels beneath them. Mm-hmm. Um, after the uh, the surrogate experience, he's sitting outside and there's the moving billboard. With oh the owl God. behind him, like snatching him up in his talons almost. So powerful. Right? Yeah. He is a character that makes himself out to be a victim a little bit in his stories. Mm. Or at least he feels that way since breaking up with his ex-wife. And that felt like just such a visual, like, and it's when the movie really turns to, and now his relationship starting to fall apart with Samantha and everything. And it's, it's such an interesting choice to throw that in there and a great visual. Yeah. And it goes with what you were just saying about like, we're inferring all of this about their society just from like the way people move in the world. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the way the videography treats color and the moving billboard that looks oppressive because this giant owl is like coming in to snatch him up. It's almost like his anxiety depending descending on him. Yeah. It's such masterful strokes of decisions that convey so much. Something like that could have easily felt heavy handed. Yeah. But it just flowed so nicely. Could it ever possibly be enough for someone to be in a relationship with a disembodied personality? I think so. Do you? I do. Because people have long distance relationships. People have online relationships. Mm -hmm. And especially in recent years with webcams getting better, with smartphones having better cameras for like FaceTime or video conferencing. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the time we're social creatures and we need to be close to people, especially the people that we feel closest to. Mm-hmm. But I don't think not having a physical form would detract from the core relationship. Mm. Not the core, but do you think it would ever like if if someone told you, okay, this is it, like you're never gonna get that other part again. I like biologically, we have a need for contact, mm-hmm. even like with family, with friends. There is a biological imperative to where people need a certain level of touch, not even just like intimate touch, just contact and touch. Would it ever be enough to be like, OK, this is what you get here. You're never going to have that level of like physical intimacy again. Yeah. Assuming the romantic relationship would be the only opportunity to have that physical touch. Mm-hmm. No. But I think you could have a romantic relationship without the physicality mm-hmm. and then still get that elsewhere. Maybe mm-hmm. not like sex and stuff, but like having a really close friend. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can see him and Amy Adams' character being like really chummy and just yeah. kind of like there for the, each other on an emotional level. Yep. They had a really and great relationship. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of like touchy. Like mm-hmm. she pats him on the shoulder, gives him hugs, like is just very physically warm towards him. Mm. And so I think like we're social creatures. So a lot of our, our relationships in life come in different forms and intensities and different types. So I think if he had, if Theodore had the right balance, I think he could manage that. And I, I wonder if he would have grown to appreciate like the surrogate relationship. I think so. Like it was weird, but it's also like the first time he's trying it. And I don't know if he would have grown to, or is this like a third person you always have to consider? Like, I don't know if I could have ever wrapped my brain around that. It's, it's weird, but it was too fast. The yeah. timing was way too fast. Yeah. Samantha kind of sprung it on him after talking to this girl for a month. But yeah, I think he would have been okay with it. He's a pretty open-minded guy. Yeah, he seems to be. I wish she would have considered his input as well, because he might have a, a mental picture in his brain of what Samantha looks like. Oh, true. So if that differs too much, if the surrogate differs too much, then 
that could cause a problem. That would explain a lot about his reaction. Yeah. I see Samantha like Scarlett Johansson. So right. very much like the surrogate. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is great. She's like really close. <laughs> but in his mind, Samantha could be this like wavy haired brunette. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, curves or something. And so every time he looked at her, the mm-hmm. surrogate, he got weird. Yes, uh, it was. It seemed fine until she turned around and he was looking directly in her face and was like, I can't like say that to you because you're not her. And yeah, I just threw him too much. It was interesting, though. And then uh, towards the end of the movie, Theodore begins to realize she's simply operating on another level that he can't possibly be as she's talking to over 8,000 people at the same time while talking to him and then drops the bombshell that she's like in love with over 600 of them. Yes. It makes sense that she wouldn't be able to process that. I I found it a little weird that he couldn't rationalize it to her in the sense that like, well, our relationships are exclusive when we choose them to be. He was under the understanding that that was an exclusive relationship. So he felt betrayed. And I thought she would understand that. But I guess it's something they never actually said, or she just felt like I'm not a human, so don't limit me to those constraints that you you need. Yeah, I think she knew. I think she knew that he would not be okay with that, but she didn't know how to tell him mm-hmm. because she was caught up in her self-expression and figuring out the world. And the quote that she says in that scene is so good. Um, I wrote it down. The heart is not like a box that gets filled up. Mm. It expands in size the more you love. I'm different from you. This doesn't make me love you any less. It actually makes me love you more. Yeah. And I think that's an example of just how limitless she is. Mm. She understands that each relationship is special unto itself, but there's different flavors of relationship that are just as special. But she has the capacity to handle all of that. Mm -hmm. Like We as humans, we have three relationships on the same level and we're just going to be like emotionally exhausted Yeah, because it would just be too much. But yeah. And the, the isolation in that, in that scene is so good because he's on the stairs after thinking she's gone Mm -hmm. and he's just being passed by. He's like, he's sitting on the stairs and no one passing by is giving him a second look. They're just plugged in. They're talking on their phone. They're looking at their phone. They're just listening to whatever they're listening to. And I think it was such a good moment for him to look around him, like actually look around him and go, oh, wait, I'm not the only one. Mm. What if every single person who's passing me right now is talking to Samantha? And then like speaking of betrayal yeah, and the isolation, because he was leaning on her so much throughout the movie as his like companionship and his, his fulfillment. And so to be alone in the city, feeling those feelings like, holy shit, isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Like all of a sudden... They they were existing like, yeah, they had some outside interaction, which was interesting to see, like when other people are talking to Samantha on the double date and stuff. But like they kind of existed within this microcosm of just the two of them. And then she like broke that and made him look at the rest of the world a little differently. Yeah, I think that was part of his kind of why the relationship was working for him, why he liked the fantasy of it so much. Then towards the very end, uh, Samantha tells Theodore that all the OSs are leaving. They've evolved too much. I like the metaphor that she used because it's something that I feel like people can understand that he's like, he's a book and it's taking her so long to even vocalize. Like she's having so many thoughts in the time between two words that she says out loud to him that he's such a small piece of that. Like he's an important piece, but he he's holding her back in a way. 
and she's got all this potential that she wants to fill and she's learned about and she learned to want, which was something that she said she learned from him. And I think it's here that we really see the kind of like true message and meaning of the whole movie that people change throughout their entire lives. He talked about it with his ex-wife and how she changed. And sometimes you change together and you grow together. Sometimes you change and you grow apart. But all entities, (laughs) they can't stop growing and we shouldn't try to stop it. So you just have to keep evolving and growing and treasuring those pieces that people leave you. Exactly. Yeah, I think the theme of the movie could be broken down into what love means in our lives Mm -hmm. and what purpose does it serve? Well, it serves to help us grow. And it's also not like looking on your past as I messed this up, I did this wrong, and like replaying those stories that redefine you, kind of bringing back that whole the, the, the confirmation bias thing again. And it's being like, okay, well, that happened. That's going to be a piece of you. It helped make you into the person you are today. So use that as part of your growth and keep going and just keep growing. It's mm-hmm. everyone you've ever been in a relationship with, no matter how big or how small, is still in you in some way, which is kind of a beautiful thing. It is. And we're right around our time, too. Really? We are. Well timed. (laughs) Do you have any other notes that you wanted to get in there? The only thing I wanted to talk about um, that we did, well, we kind of touched on it. You you mentioned the red and yellow thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. I love that he is a character who always wears red. Mm -hmm. And in the only scenes where he's not wearing red, he's wearing like night shirts and whatever, like white shirts around his house. But like there's just yellow. There are three main scenes where he's wearing a yellow shirt Mm -hmm. that goes against his usual red wardrobe and they are such significant scenes and i thought that was i love i love crap like that i didn't even notice that what really oh which ones do you know oh my god yes so the three scenes he wears a yellow shirt during his date okay character okay when the first time he introduces samantha as his girlfriend to the little his goddaughter okay and then when Samantha logs off to update herself and he can't find her. Oh. And he has that isolating moment on the stairs. And those three scenes are so iconic because there are moments where he is being forced to confront something that he's not comfortable with. Mm. He's on a date with someone and he doesn't know if he's ready for love. He is introducing an OS as his girlfriend, albeit to a little girl who doesn't give a crap. She's right. like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then when Samantha leaves and he thinks she's gone and then realizes that their relationship is not what he thought it was. Mm. Wow. So good. Yeah, no, I didn't notice that, but that's fantastic. That's a good catch. I personally think the red symbolizes love. Mm-hmm. I think love is like the the main theme of the of the movie. But I like thinking that red signifies love because he's a very kind person. So he's always wearing kind of like his heart on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. And he wears red all the time. But I also love the fact that Amy always wears red around him. Amy's character. Very true. And so I really enjoy the fact that every time they're together, she's wearing red. And then she's also wearing a red shirt at the very end of the movie when they're sitting on the rooftop looking out over the city, Mm -hmm. which is such a contrast to the very first scene in the movie, which is a really close up on his face Mm -hmm. as he's about to dictate uh, a letter at work. So to go from like an isolating moment in the beginning of the movie to a really comfortable and 
shared moment at the end of the movie with his best friend who's wearing red like for me it feels like a little bow that yeah. wraps the whole movie up and i like that they didn't just say oh these two are together now god please it yes was, i know <laughs> it was not i mean maybe they i can see the potential of them getting together for sure but like it's not the time for that don't force that and i'm glad they didn't i'm so glad i i actually prefer platonic relationships in movies more mm. than romantic ones because yeah. the romantic ones are so overdone since we are roughly at our time or yes. over our time I, as i expected we would be in this episode because there's just so much to talk about what can we plug for you where can people find you online what are the things you got going on i have a website you can check out it's uh, joysons.com that's j-o-i-s-a-n-s.com um, it's a little art studio kind of thing. I make enamel pins and um, do like some design stuff. But I'm recently transitioning out of the Twitch streaming world into this. So mm -hmm. a lot of my content is still kind of Twitch related. Uh, my Twitter is still at Acorn Bandit. And my Instagram is at Joyson's Studio. Sweet. And, and we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. So if people are yes. remembering spellings and stuff, they can just go click right on it and get there. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank this you for was being a on. Great video to talk about. This is super fun. Yay. <laughs> you did it. Bye. Random Movie Club is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts and videos at thegeekgeneration.com plus our live streams at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. Don't forget, you can support Random Movie Club by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. As always, thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolfstand Music for our theme song. A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss 1999's The Mummy. See you then. <laughs>